Hello, listeners. This is producer and part-time co-host Troy stepping in here once again. However, this time it is to point out that the following episode had quite a bit of audio problems. While it is still very listenable, we apologize. That is definitely not up to our usual standards. That being said, please enjoy. In a world overrun with an infinite amount of multiverses originating from a plethora of sources, a group of longtime friends band together and try to make sense of it all and present it to an audience in an easy to digest podcast. This is Geeking Off the Page. Greetings, geeks. Welcome to another episode of Geeking Off the Page. This is episode 75, allegedly. I'm Mike. I'm Trevor. And I'm Gavin, allegedly. We have a Gavin! We're each 25, so 25, 25, 25, 75. It all works out. Yeah, when Troy shows up, we'll be a whole bunch. The math works. Exactly. Except for when it doesn't. And then it's the new math. And then it works again. So, boys. Math is math. What you what you been doing this week? Oh, wow. What, what have we been doing? Uh, that was the question. Well... Amanda's decided that she wants to start watching the Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, especially with the uh, the conveniently timed finale of Picard, season three, which I'm, I'm sure we can all have a long conversation about that. Uh, one thing I have noticed uh, is uh, the average rating in the first and second seasons of, of, of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, let's just say it's, time has not been kind. Uh, averaging five, six, maybe seven out of ten for some of the episodes. Some are really weird. Let's just say that the the first couple of seasons, maybe even for the first three seasons, are a little rough. I give it a poop emoji. I rate the first two seasons of Picard poop emoji. (laughs) Yeah, but if you look at uh, if you look at Picard season three, it's easily eight and above on IMDb. Yeah, yeah, eight and above. Every single episode to mm-hmm. me has been an absolute corker. Just something just grabs me and keeps me engaged. It's the writing. Season one and two. Eh. It's the the fact that you know you're playing in a sandbox and making it feel like Star Trek. Yeah, I was away on a work trip this week on Thursday. Everybody said, hey, so what's your plans for tonight? It's like, I'm going back to the hotel and watching Picard. They all said, nerd! And then they said, actually, that sounds pretty awesome. (laughs) And it was. It was. Uh, Thursday was was quite the day. Um, So if you want, I'll do a quick recap for those of you who haven't watched it. Losers. Um, And uh, so this one was called The Last Generation. And, and I like how they tied that together with the next generation as the first one, and then the last generation. And there's something so ominous about that title where you're like, oh, well, this is not going to make it. This like, whole episode, you were just like, kind of like, oh, 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 is someone about to? Nope. Um, you know, this have... is the end. Yeah, I did have a couple of problems with the episode, um, but we'll get into that. So this one basically kicks off. With Picard and the crew of the Enterprise, the original Enterprise on the Enterprise, they find the Borg cube hiding in the clouds of Jupiter, right in that gig- giant red eye. Which um, is so awesome. When we were watching it, my kids were like, "It's Jupiter, and it's yeah. a Borg cube, 
and it's really big. And they decide that the only way they're going to be able to get Jack Crusher out, who is like the, the, the linchpin of the entire broadcasting network the board using, is they have to physically go in and get him. So we have the standard away team, Picard, you know, Riker, Worf. I was thought for sure they were going to show up like just some random red shirt would show up, but nope, nope, nope. I um, love how Data wanted to go. Data wanted Data's to go. Data's like, I have a history with the Borg. You know, I should be there. It's like, how about you fly the ship? Yeah. And what's nice is they, they get on there and like you see the fact that a lot of the Borg are, it's like a cadaver in the Borg getup. Like all the, the flesh is desiccated and basically they're cannibalizing themselves. They've reached that point where they're, you know, they don't have a whole lot of fresh meat. Um, in the meantime, the now um, hive mind star, star, Starfleet ships are, it's a lot of phasers hitting that, that, that space station. A lot. An absolute lot. Somehow the Titan manages to, to figure out they're going to use the cloak because it's all line of sight, which doesn't make as much sense to me, by the way. Like, if you have this thing that's going to tie the whole fleet together to be able to move, as a giant hive mind, you'd think you'd want something better than line of sight. Um, I I don't care. Cloaking device. Anyways. Or, I buy it. Um, they, the, the fleet manages to destroy the, the space station, and now they start targeting the Earth because they're hitting all the population centers. Um, Picard finally manages to get to Jack, and really, he's in full Borg out to this point. And we see the Queen... She's back, and it is the original actress doing the the voice, uh, Alice Krieg, I think his name is, and she's like basically just a rib cage in her, her head and one arm, and her face is, she's got some road rash, she got some definite road rash going on on that face, like huh. fell off her motorcycle, was not wearing a helmet, and skidded to a stop on her face. Um. Anyways, so they managed to, you know. Picard basically takes one of the, the things. He starts unplugging Jack, and she's like, keep doing that. You're going to lobotomize him. And he's like, well, I'm not doing all this to lobotomize him. I'm doing it so I have a way in. And he stabs it, and you can see the stuff go through his face. He meets Jack inside. Um, Jack talks about how this is like family. He's got all these voices now that he that are listening to him, and he can listen to. And, and essentially, at this point, it's Locutus and Vox are talking. Yeah, and it's it's nice that Picard's basically like, you know, he said one of those telling things. He says, "You know, I've I always thought Starfleet was everything I needed, and I realized you were the thing I never knew I was missing until I met you and realized I was missing you the most." And that was, you know, you know, finally Jack wakes up and says, "Well, screw you, lady." And, and a lot of people said that was the tear jerker moment. Yeah, it was when sort of like, "Oh wow!" You know. And anyone so, who has a father son combo, and and one of the best things understand. is they figure out the plot that the Enterprise needs to fly through to get close enough to destroy the the transceiver and beam them back. And Data's like, you know, almost like, you know, I flew through through the Death Star. Well, I have to, and it's like, hold my drinks, boys. And you just see his hands start going. And the Enterprise, which I never really... In fact, Data said, it's like, I have a gut feeling I can do this. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, let's go with Data's gut. Data's gut. Um, and Troy pops and... in there with a, I'm sensing joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I never equated the Enterprise D with maneuverability. I mean, it's a fat one, right? Yeah. Well, every time you saw it in a space battle, the next generation, it always like it's swinging its fat ass around and still taking the hits. And 
data. Well, that's what it is. He's yeah. flying a small town yeah. through a board cube. And and data's flying that thing like he's he's, you know, through the eye of a needle, like race car sort of bullshit. And it was just like, oh my God, this and this is what the Enterprise could have been doing way back in that generation. Why wasn't it? He was probably burning it the oh, yeah. to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um so they managed to, you know, destroy the transceiver. There's a great shot where they're like, well, we can't, they can't transport us out. The Enterprise just swings right overhead. Yeah, here's your Uber. Gets them out. Um, and then... Enterprise drift, man. Enterprise drift. Yeah, and then the Enterprise is returned back to the museum. You know, everyone... Crusher figures a way of removing the, the Borg receiver DNA out of everyone using the transporters again. Um, and, you know, you, you jump ahead with it one year. Yeah, from one year and yeah, when your time skip. Yeah, and what's nice is you know they all decide like the original crew decide to have a game of poker, which was always a big thing in the next gen. Um, Jack Crusher gets the bridge to the new Enterprise, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, then well, Seven told him to get out of her seat, but well, Shaw that, gave that was amazing. Shaw's recommendation of Seven and Nine, which gave her yeah. her captaincy, was awesome. It was oh, a that nice... was a great scene. Great send off for for that character. Oh, perfect. Um, but yeah, so now she's the captain of the Titan, which has been rechristened the Enterprise. Which, by the way, I absolutely fucking hate. Um, and Raffi's her first officer, and Jack is the he's an ensign, but now he's the special ensign, and he gets to sit next to. I I didn't really understand that one. Um, and meanwhile, every every other lieutenant on the bridge. Am I a joke to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, is all my, all my time at Starfleet and, and, and the ranks and the pips, are, are are these just meaningless now? Just hand them out like chiclets? And then at the very end, after the credits, Q shows up and we're like, didn't you commit suicide? And, 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 you know, I thought you were done with, with Picard. Well, I'm done with Picard, but it doesn't mean I'm done with you. So nice little segue into what could be something else, but. That was one of the great rewrites that this series did. I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of them. Where they took things and just said, no, the hell with that. I'm fixing it. And the whole Q moment was a great one. And we talked about that last week about yeah. Q committing suicide. Stupid. He's an eternal being who, yeah. you know, he's the galactic prankster that like, does. But of course, like, if he's going to sign off with Picard, it's like, okay, I'm committing suicide for you. Yes, Not for you in your mind. For I'm everyone. Dead. Yeah. So thoughts about the, the episodes. Do you want to go ahead, Gavin? It's been a while. Sure, sure. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, the, seeing the original crew flying the Enterprise D and I mean, there's, you know, there's this part of me that got, you know, the track nerd in me going, it's like, that's impossible. How could they possibly fly a ship like that with only seven people or whoever, however many were actually present yeah. on the bridge. But the, the, the other part of me says, shut up. You're fucking awesome. Just go with it. So, I mean, the nostalgia hammer just BB black and blue. It was just, it was amazing. Um, the, the, the scale to me was incredible. Uh, with the Enterprise in front of the board cube, in front of Jupiter, just like it really shows, one, how much the special effects have improved since like, you know, the five foot uh, uh, scale model of the Enterprise D that they used for the original Next Generation, which now, as I said, uh, rewatching it, I'm going, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's so low death. Why isn't it so maneuverable? Is that, oh, no, because it's, you know, budget. Right, I understand. I get it. Mm -hmm. But 
this is I mean, what... one thing. Okay, you mentioned budget a couple times. The fact that this series had an incredibly low budget and they were able to pull off what they did, I think is astounding. And I mean, it shows what technology can do these days and with good writing and good directing and picking and choosing where you use those effects. But the fact that this was a low budget show, you didn't, or at least I didn't feel like it watching yeah. it. Well, I mean, uh, like you were saying that Jupiter shot is like, that was well, like a visual effect spectacular for a movie, let alone yeah. a TV series. Well, when you compare how much the effects cost back when they did The Next Generation to how much the same sort of effects would cost now, that's where we get that scene where you start with the Enterprise and you start pulling back and pulling back and the cube's now taking a good section of the frame and we keep pulling back. And now you can see like the, the volumetric atmosphere of, of the eye of Jupiter around the cube will keep pulling back. And you realize the Enterprise is now be just becoming almost like a single pixel on your screen. And the fourth cube is still fairly large, but the eye of Jupiter is even that much bigger as we keep pulling back. And you're like, oh, yeah, they could do this nice big long pullback and, and make, still make the effects all nice pretty. It probably cost a tenth of it. It used to cost to do a beauty pass shot back in, well, in like the, the the 80s and 90s you guys remember the like in the first first season of next generation any threat bam separate the saucer section let's go and basically that was the, the answer to everything second season nowhere to be seen except in emergencies. it was so expensive but just with whatever that budget was to for this for the saucer and hull separating that it's clearly that that kind of money can do so much more with CG. Oh, yeah. And I am 100% here for it. Uh, now, some other things I didn't realize, and I was kind of uh, uh, talking to Trevor earlier before we started recording about, a little bit about it. I don't remember Wolf being quite as damn funny as he, as he is in this. Uh, I know he had some decent one-liners here and there in, in, the, in the original series, but the, uh, I think that bit was when, when he says, like, and I shall make it a threesome. And Wiker goes, do you even hear yourself? <laughs> that I mean, was so good. Perfect deadpan delivery by, by Warp. And Wiker picks it up and just lobs it back. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I, what I found was funny is when, you know, Warp puts down his sword and Riker's like, I'll take care of him. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I, I, I did not know it was so heavy. Yeah, yeah, and then when he pulls the blaster, you had this the whole time? Swords are fun. That was such a great line. <laughs> it was so good. It was I have so to agree hard. with the man. Swords are fun, um, but yeah, I did. I mean, I wouldn't have realized just how strong Warf is because when he's wielding that thing, he does not make it look like it's that heavy. I mean, he's he's spinning the thing like it's balsa wood, and then when Riker goes to pick it up, and Riker's not a, a you know a weak guy, but when he drops it that that hard that fast, you're like, oh, oh yes, uh, the Klingon is actually very very strong. <laughs> arm wrestling the Klingon results in a ripped off arm, unless he's arm wrestling Data. But yeah, there's there's. A bunch of little great gems throughout this entire episode and through this whole series. I think this episode capped the series off nicely. Um, as I said, I had a couple of small issues, mainly with the, the after stuff was where I, I was just like, oh. Um, but yeah, the episode itself, I would happily watch it again. Yeah, I watched it twice and it held up both times going through. Um, great moments with the original cast. Everybody had something to do, which was great. It was nice to see Jordy take the captain's chair. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, Beverly at the weapons. A lot has happened over 20 years. Yeah, she just she... like oh, you know, manually fires everything. Yeah, and hits every shot. It was <laughs> that was great. Good moment for the yeah. doctor. Uh the whole spot where um Riker and Worf split off from Picard. That was the moment where I thought, okay, someone's dying here. Yeah. Like, something's going on. There's I thought no for way... sure with the with the look he shared with, with Deanna that Riker wasn't gonna make it back. Yeah. Or some like I thought something was going to happen. And that's great writing when you're basically sitting at the edge of your seat waiting for something to happen. I thought something along the lines of 
Riker would be, you know, when, with a couple of few Borgs that, that did manage to, to come out, he was going to get ambushed and partially assimilated, and Worf would have to make the hard decision to kill Riker. And I thought that was that was a, a, something that could have happened. Uh, again, especially that look that he gave Deanna as they were leaving. It was like, he just kind of said goodbye there. He didn't think he was coming yeah, back. Yeah, there's a bunch of that. Picard gave the goodbye speech, and there's a whole lot of stuff that set things up where someone's going down. Yeah. And again, that's good writing. And I'm kind of glad through. no one did. Um, Same. Yeah, it would be, um, I don't know, it would be letting down the characters. Yeah. Have somebody not need it. And even the fact that they had to resurrect a few characters just to get this far. Yeah, yeah. And they did it well. So, yeah, to take anybody out at this point would be robbing them of their legacy. So I'm so glad they kept it the way they did. Um, overall, the show was incredible. I wish there was a little bit more involving the Enterprise. It's, you know, they get it out of the mothballs, fly it into space, and it didn't do quite as much as I wish. But, again, it's one episode, one episode left. It had less than know. a skeleton crew on it. Yeah, and it's like, okay, it did what it had to do. It wasn't part of the, you know, the Tesla hive mind with all the other ships. It was, it was the last remaining star that had to show up. And it, it was. And it did. And one thing was so great is afterwards when they finally shut it down and uh, Major Barrett's voice comes on and, you know, says, you know, yeah. machine. Oh. I was like, oh, I've missed that voice. Yeah. I had, like, I, Riker I, said what everybody was thinking. It was so good. Was. Oh, and what Chekhov had at the beginning. Yeah. Starting it off I, with that. My, uh, I'm looking at it going, is that the original? It is the original. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't Pavel, oh, but it was his grandson. Well, it's, the, it's, the, it's the original yeah, actor playing. Yeah, but his yeah, father going to doing the voice. So Yeah, but it's the grandson quoting his grandfather, quoting Kirk, quoting Spock. It's so good. Yeah, it was. And now, that's, again, something that Terry Metellus, I, he's giving us all the member berries in a good way. It's yeah. not just bait and switch. It's not just throwing nostalgia at you, then crapping on it. No, he's telling a good story and giving us all the member berries on top. Like that's like the you know the cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, it's amazing. Now I will say I'll, I'm going to start to bring up some of the stuff I didn't like. So number one, so when the Titan used the cloak, they can't run shields while cloaked. Yeah, they can't fire while cloaked. How fast the Excelsior got taken out the second. The hive mind realized that the Excelsior's bridge was compromised. It was less than three seconds. And it was like, oh, we took back and roll the bridge. And they died. These guys fire. They're like scooting through, firing left, right, and center. Like, oh, some of them have turned to turn to, you know, to do engages. That should have ended the Titan right there. Like, when you have that many ships. You know, they're they're using predictive algorithms to figure out where the Titan's going to be, even if it recloaked. It should not be like, oh, we took a hit. Oh, we took a hit. Oh, we took a hit. We're still good. It's just seemed like it killed off the Excelsior. That fast. And you're using Hive Mind to target. They're going to get hit within a phaser. The Titan's not going to last much longer than a mouse fart. So that was the one thing. It was like, I know they got plot armor, but... Okay, I didn't mind that part. What do you think, Gavin? But like, for me, I'm thinking, okay, they have a Borg in charge of the ship. You know, it does have a little bit of plot armor going on. You know, the Borg is busy doing other things right now. I can buy that I, part. I understand I, what you're saying, Trevor, but I'm like... Mm. I, I think it worked with the... With, with the resolution of the of, of the episode i i have, a, I have an issue with it although i will say the uh with, with, the, with the uh the, the star base sitting there taking shot after shot after shot from every single fucking federation ship in existence shooting that like kudos to the engineers with those shields because that's that that is incredible but also there's this little part of me that goes wait a minute 
I've seen this before. Didn't they do the same thing in Futurama? They wired up Conrad, uh, Hermes Conrad, to uh, to shoot all the the quote unquote solid gold Death Stars. Yeah. Well, there was. That I do thing. like how the the Forge girls took out the cloaking device. That I was did like that. Now, what I would have liked is if Seven had said something like, you know, just she still got a little bit of Borg technology left in her. She should have like walked over to to the console, the communications console, and kind of like plugged in for like a nanosecond, just long enough to say she was going to broadcast a signal that was going to kind of fuzz up the the Borg targeting systems. That'd so be cool because she still has that. Yeah. You so know, that really so that, lame prosthetic on the hand. How yeah. cool would it be to see it like it? You know, expand and connect to the computers. Yeah, so that would be awesome. just something to the, the effect of she's throwing a virus into the Borg system that's going to disrupt their targeting systems. That and then that would explain why the Titan is able to skip through. I would have been like, great, and we could see a little bit of her Borg abilities. Awesome. I think that was missing. That to me, that would have explained the plot armor that the Titan had to take those hits. Yeah, that'd be all cool. of those ships and keep going. The other thing I didn't like at the end was renaming the Titan the Enterprise G. Okay, I thought the same. I've been thinking about this for the past few days. It should have been named I've the Picard. I've come to terms. It should have been the the NCC, you know, whatever Picard's birthday it is, the four-digit the four digit number, A, Picard. So it's it's the first of its name. It's, it's the, it is the, the, the USS Picard. That would be kind of cool. And I would have liked... If the, Riker got the command of the Enterprise D. Because well, the thing is, the Enterprise is always the, it's the flagship, you know, best of the best of the fleet. When they build yeah. an Enterprise, they use the latest technology. It's the best of the best. So instead of taking the Titan and rebranding it as Enterprise, they should have branded it as a card. And then you see them laying down the keel for the new Enterprise with, you know, Captain, either Captain Riker is, is you know, the new, is, is named to be the new acting captain. That would have, to me, would have been a little bit better than just saying, "Oh, we're re we're giving the Titan to seven and nine, and we're going to rename it the Enterprise." That just kind of feels like a, a, you know, like a want want sort of prize. Yeah, I went back and forth on that. My initial instinct was exactly that: like, why is the Enterprise just this little puny ship compared to all the new big, you know, gigantic cruisers that they have now? Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like. There's a nostalgia factor about the Enterprise becoming a Constitution-class ship again to rebrand it based on the them saving the entire I, universe. I, I, I still like, go, okay, I, I, can, they, I can let it pass, but I do agree that it was weird. Yeah, I just think they should have... We should have seen in, in Stardock them laying down the keel of a new ship that'll be the new Enterprise to be given to Riker, rename the Titan the Picard... Give that to seven of nine. I'm still didn't. I'm. I didn't like the whole ensign Jack being, you know, sitting next to the captain on the bridge. Like, put him at tactical. Put him at communications. Put him somewhere. But he's an ensign. He shouldn't be sitting next to the captain. I didn't mind it just because of the circumstances of everything. The fact that he saved him. The fact that he's part Borg. She's part Borg. He has the legacy of Picard, and it just gave us a great moment. Like that moment where he sat in the captain's chair. Like, how good would he that have to be as a young Captain Kirk? He has all the swagger. He's got the look. He's got the charm. But great casting. I, I yeah. hope they do something with him. The actor's already said that he'd be willing to play this role for another 15 years. 
hopefully nobody will pay attention and see how good he did. But well, hopefully Terry Metallic says, "Sure, let's take him up on that." And okay, here's another question: What are the chances of Terry Metallic getting another show? Because it's still Kurtzman Trek. Terry Metallic got this kind of out of luck because everybody bailed on everything. Yeah. So he stepped in, basically saved the franchise, made something that all the fans unanimously love. Uh, how long until Paramount says, "Oh, he did pretty good. Maybe he can do another one." Because right now there's nothing on the schedule. There's a whole yeah. bunch of other Kurtzman Trek on the schedule, but do you think he's going to get another show? He should, I think. I think there was a tweet by him that basically said that uh, he'd be very interested in, do in doing a Star Trek Legacy uh, series, as, as it were, basically mm -hmm. potentially continuing on with uh, where Picard let leaves off. Which I'm all for. I mean, hell, even Brent Spiner said that he'd, uh, he'd, he'd come back uh, again. I mean, I, I got to say this, this, uh, this version of data, possibly one of the, one of the best, um, I don't know, best resurrection, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because oh, I agree. I mean, yeah, you weren't with us last time. Okay, give us yeah. a whole download on that. He, uh, well, I mean, the, the episode where, where he's basically fighting, fighting lore for basically possession of the body. Um, as soon as he starts handing Lore the memories, I was just like, oh, because he just said his memories have become him. It's like, oh, here you go, Lore. Here you go, Lore. Here you go, Lore. Oh, by the way, Lore. Yes. Oh, fast. shit, I am. Yeah. Goodbye, Lore. Um, I, I, it kind of gave that uh, when, when, he, when he died in, uh, in, 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 the, in the first contact, the, the Oh, the um, Nemesis. Nemesis, yeah. He died in Nemesis. And I thought, that is that is a huge like rip off of the character or like he just got he got cheated out of like a like a yeah. decent sacrifice. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And, and then they ended with before, which is like, why are you ending with this? And it's like, okay, I just doesn't mean data's telling that because before or whatever. And then then they added they gave that that, that second death of him where he's uh he's he's in the uh, Picard dream and I just like he he just didn't get any kind of good, any good closure. And then now he's back. So man, which I'm absolutely fine with, because he's still the data that we knew, know and love. Like the the, the humor uh, the, when he and Jordy sat down in the shuttlecraft, and it was like, uh, like data, did you get him off this quickly? Quickly. <laughs> I mean, that's like it's perfect. And uh, watching the old Star Trek next generation stuff, watching uh, Brent Spiner play lore, uh, shifting between uh, different personalities when he's imitating something. It was like, so good. He, he he is damn good, and I don't remember seeing him in a lot of stuff after Star Trek. No, I mean his. The place that I remember him first was actually Night Court, when he was the hillbilly farmer. Mm -hmm. And it, like he stole, he stole the show every single time. There was a there was an outtake from uh, Encounter at Firepoint where he's in the tunnels under the under the the base, and he's he's doing a Jimmy Stewart impression, and it's fucking spot on. It gives, it just gives you an idea of the range that Prince Spiner has, and I'm so I'm so happy they were able to bring him back. Yeah, and I think this is one of the best renditions of Data where he's had the emotion. That's one thing that bothered me in the movies where he got the emotion chip and started getting a little bit too goofy. To me, it went off the mark. Like he wasn't as likable as a character with the emotion chip in the movies, and so I think that was something they were kind of struggling with. But in this series, I bought it. Like, I think this was the best data with the merging of the lore and before and everything else. And you can see him 
still being an android, still being the data that we love, but I think he nailed that whole emotion chip thing in this series, unlike he ever did before. I agree. I think this yeah. gave Brent Spiner a chance to really stretch as an actor and show that he, his versatility of making each character very distinct. Yeah, and the fact that what like Gavin said, watching him just switch on a dime like that, where it's one character and then it switches to another one, and you don't even have to hear him speak. You can just tell by the facial expression which persona's being activated. That was so good. Another one is Jonathan Frakes. Like I think he was the all-star of this entire series. The fact that he still has that charm, he's still like every scene that he's in, he steals the show. Yeah, and at like the end, it's so yeah. good. When Data comes out of the counseling with Deanna Troy at the end, Riker's just sitting there with his, you know, hand on the door waiting with a smirk as he's walking out. Again, so good. Yeah. And Jonathan Frakes was my favorite part of the first season of Picard as well. And I remember back in those interviews where he was saying he was nervous to come back and act because he hadn't been it for a while and reprising the role. But man, he absolutely stole the show, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, this was a fun one. This was a great series. Unfortunately, for now, it's the end of it. So yeah, we'll have to see what's coming up, if anything. But it was a great way. Like if this is the end and the last moment of Picard. It's nice that they wrapped up the whole Borg and Locutus and got the gang back together. A proper send-off. Ending with the poker game and then the resurrection of Q. I'm I just, mean, honestly, I'm more glad can ask for? They, they got through 10 episodes and did not shit the bed. I know. It's that... so funny with fandom these days. Like That's all you ask for. It's like, just give me something that gives me some joy. Give me some nostalgia and please don't shit the bed. Yeah. So... All right, let's shift some gears here. And uh, another episode, another series finished off its third season. Speaking of shedding the bed. <laughs> Gab, did you want, did you catch the last episode of The Mandalorian? I did. I, I, caught, I caught up the last three episodes over the past four or five days or so. All right. For me, uh, I just skimmed through all of them. I like, I, I didn't watch them. I just like, what's happening? Okay, okay, okay. Skip, 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 skip. I get the gist. All right, lead us in, Gav. Tell us about the episode. Uh, well, they're the, 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 all, the, all the Mandalorians are now uh, united as one. They're now going to go and retake Mandalore, only to discover that uh, the Empire's already made it, uh, themselves at home there. So, uh, uh, Darth Gideon? What, what, what is he calling himself now? Moff Gideon. He's Moff. Moff Gideon. Darth, Darth Moff. Wujaboo, Gideon, whatever. Earth, whatever you Jar Jar Gideon. <laughs> Boba Gideon. Gideon Fett. Yeah, it, he's, he's basically been, uh, been, been uh, vacuuming up all the Beskar steel so, and making his own uh, clone troopers. Uh, so stealing, uh, stealing uh, things from the, the, uh, the, um, the, the Emperor Palpatine, the, you know, the Clone Wars, the Mandalorians with their armor, and the Jedi Knights start trying, trying to basically steal Jedi powers for his clones. And, the, thing is, uh, the telling point is not just any clones. It's not like he just, like, you know, went out and grabbed Boba Fett and cloned him. He's cloning himself. Oh. It's clones of himself that he's giving, like, he, he, all, the, all the clones of himself are going to have force powers. <sighs> yeah. Fortunately, the uh, Mando put a put a stop to that, and of course, uh, uh, Moff Gideon, Boba Gideon, uh, decided he was really upset at this. And they they basically have a have a uh, serious battle, only to have uh, uh, what's her name the 
Bo-Katan. Yeah, Bo-Katan swoop in with the dark saber and basically try to take on uh, uh, Gideon again. What's yeah. with the dark saber getting destroyed? Yeah, that felt just a little too convenient. Well, it it explains so um, in the seven eight. Well, actually, in seven, when you see Supreme Leader Snoke, he's wearing a ring that is the Kyber crystal of the dark saber. So it had to get destroyed at some point. Mm, okay. Lane. Okay. Um, basically the. The, the 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 big gist of, of what I got out of the last episode was when you have about, when you have like five thousand Mandalorians flying in for battle, it's going to look pretty cool. Story, story aside, uh, the, the the fights were amazing. Um, the the big guy with the Gatling uh, laser blaster, uh, like he did his last stand kind of thing. I was a little sad that uh, that he uh, he got taken down by uh, by those punks with the the force spikes or whatever they call the Praetorian guards. Yeah, the I don't know. I he could he could have flew, flown away. He he could have he could have got. But I mean, it was his last stand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sad though, because it's like every time he brings the 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 Gatling blaster out into play, things go down and go down hard. <clears throat> yeah, the this episode it was. So they have the all the ties rushing up to attack the the main cruiser the Mandalorians have who he guy piloting in turn drives it like a giant spear into the base and that's what takes out Gideon because he burns to death as Grogu makes a force bubble and all the flames rush around them uh, I, this episode felt like a lot of lazy writing it really did wrapped up in a nice little bubble like the force bubble that protected them and then at the end they you know they restart the great forge Grogu has a, some sort of connection with the mythosaur um like it opens its eyes and he kind of acknowledges it and then Dijarin ends up adopting Grogu and they move back to the outskirts on, on Navarro and, and the, the new sheriff in town is IG-11 who's been rebuilt. He no longer has a Grogu kind of piloting. And uh, yeah, I just, I was I was unsatisfied by this episode. Um, I firmly believe this whole season should have been no Grogu at all until the very last episode. It should have been Din Dijarin going back to bounty hunting Reconnecting maybe with with Bo Katan, you know they come across he comes across a contract that directly deals with her. Yeah, you can bring Moff Gideon back into it, and then have it all culminate at the end, and that's when Grogu reappears and has now forsaken the Jedi to, you know, hang out with with Indijarn, who he feels is his family. This was just felt like a lot of hey, we need to show the little green guy because people like to buy merchandise with him, and so we got to keep showing him. That's this whole season kind of felt like that. So I'm just. Uh... I'm just kind of weirded out by that whole IG-8 speaking spell machine. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. I mean, at least you didn't like, like, pilot like a fucking Gundam. Like doing flips and, and, and. <laughs> yeah, so I was, there was, there was a lot of little things like that. Like, I was reading a, a post on Facebook. Someone was talking about the tactics that the Mandalorians use when they were retaking Mandalore, you know, I either showed that Mandal- Mandalorians really like lean in heavily on their armor for 99% of their tactics, or Bo-Katan is the worst fucking commander ever. <laughs> like, the second you come across a force like that, like you know, when they start swooping in, the second you, you 
fight off the first group. You don't just, hey, let's all blindly run this way. Ooh, we've been trapped again. Ooh, we got... No, it, it just, it made no sense that you would section off a small group to go ahead and, you know, scout up ahead and realize, oh, hey, there's a whole base over there, a whole Imperial base. Well, maybe we shouldn't do, like, I don't know, everyone rush in going, oh, and we've been taken by surprise. Um, what's his face? Paz, he could have used that that, you know, studying technique of, one step back and let the door close um, instead of sacrificing himself because he could have taken one step back. They could have like sealed the door, welded it, do whatever and escape and, and come at the base from another direction. And the second, you know, they, they said, oh, they're going to target the cruiser. I, you knew 100% when the guy said, everyone else flee, I'll stay on board. He was like, I'm going to hit the self-destruct. He's like, no, I'm going to steer this bitch into the base. We also, if your whole goal is to retake the planet, Instead of having to go to the ruined city that's 99% glassed over, there's a whole base right there full of supplies. Instead of destroying it utterly, merely kill the occupants and take the base yourself as your staging point on the ground to then retake the planet. See, this is what gives girl bosses a bad name. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just, Princess Leia didn't do this kind of stuff. I just feel like a good girl boss. They should have had a military advisor in squad tactics in the writing room and say, that's not how you would go about this when you're running a, a squad. Well, we looked at a Star Wars writer's room whiteboard. I mean, I'm pretty sure there was no one that. Yeah, so and I, have you seen some of these other things that have come out? Where, um, Jeez, I don't know what shows. Maybe the, well, the Acolyte or something. There's some actor who's talking about how, well, the great thing about Star Wars is that, you know, it's kind of like we don't really know what is good and evil. Like, there's this gray area. It's like, no, this is Star Wars. It's the light side and the dark side. It's very clear. It's like World War Two. Yeah, the good guys, you have the Nazis. I mean, there's no gray area. That's what Star Wars is. Yeah. And another thing that's been coming out lately, I mean, it came out before, I guess, the friction with Kathleen Kennedy and John Favreau. I mean, this stuff came back up in like, around January. Apparently, there was friction. And you wonder how much John Favreau just kind of tapped out on this. Because like, what a turnaround from the first two seasons to this season. And the fact that John Favreau was having problems and... It sounds like he's going to be either walking away or kicked off or fired or whatever. Like It sounds like well, something's coming up with that. So I, I looked at the 10 episodes. Filoni only co-wrote two episodes. Um, Favreau co uh, wrote or co-wrote, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Basically, every episode had Favreau's fingers in it in some way or another. He was a, either the sole writer or co-writer on these episodes. But all but these rumblings online were that he was getting meds with the whole way through. Yeah, so I have a feeling it's... When they, they say, oh, well, he wrote the episode, I'm feeling it wasn't only his hands on the script. I think after he handed it off, other people put their hands on it and put their... Yeah, it's kind of like he has his hand on the crayon and someone else has their hand on the crayon. Like, I, I think a well-manicured hand on that crayon and some resistance. Like, no, it shouldn't go that way. But, you know, even though he was named the head of the, like, the showrunner and the, the head, I think it's, it's until someone is finally out of the building and gone for good, it's... Yeah. It's, it's I want to hear what that. the story is because the fact that it turned around so much, you got two seasons that were pretty good, and then this, and there's some rumblings of, I don't know, whatever meddling. Let's say that. Well, I know that the the rumor that uh, Filoni and Favreau were looking at redoing episode seven, eight, nine. Um. I remember. I just remember reading that it said higher up in, in in Lucasfilm has stated that that is not on the table and never will be. So that means someone else has spoken and whatever plans they had, they were told basically wrapped across the knuckles with a ruler and told no. 
So it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I'm not excited for anything Star Wars at this point. It's sad because the last season of Mandalorian season or the last episode of season two Mandalorian when Luke Skywalker showed up, you know, I had a new hope. I was thinking it's like, oh, we can course correct this. It was kind of like the Picard season three where it's kind of like it's going to you know, bring back the franchise and bring back the energy. And what I've seen since then is just not that. Yeah. Any any last thoughts on Mandalorian before we move on to something else? I'm uh, I gotta say I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in fourth season in terms of I, I think they're just going to go back to that episodic kind of thing. Is there going to be a fourth with. season though? Because there's that whole thing that they're talking about. Next step for the Mandalorian is to do like a two hour movie on Disney Plus, and that's it. Hmm. There's been no. Oh, it's on Disney Plus. I was thinking they were going to try and. No, do I don't think they're going to do a theatrical. I think they're just going to do a two-hour movie and, and say, "All right, Mandalorian's done." Because there's no rumblings of a fourth season. There's no, like, because before second season finished, they already had you know said, "Oh, by the way, season three has been given the green light." There's been nothing like that for season four of Mandalorian. So oh, this could be part of the. Disney Plus uh, kind of slowing production down. I know, I know that's supposed to be like with the like from Marvel, uh, but I mean it does kind of make sense to focus more on quality than quantity. Yeah, so like Favreau has said, there will be a fourth season, but that was like a good while back that that he said, yeah, we're we're probably going to do a fourth season. So I don't know. Um, Favreau said, no, I'm just reading. As of four days ago, he said the scripts are written for a season four, um, but there's no idea when it, it's nowhere on their schedule. Like Disney, Disney Plus's schedule, there's no room for a Mandalorian suddenly to show up. So unless they're suddenly going to shuffle some other stuff around, it's I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're going to wait to see how um, Ahsoka does, Skeleton Crew, stuff like that before they. Because, um, like, it's Star Wars Celebration uh, 2023. Filoni said he's going to be directing a Star Wars movie. But he said it's going to be the cinematic culmination of Mandalorian, uh, Book of Boba Fett, and Ahsoka. So I don't know how that's all going to play. If they're supposed to do a fourth season and he's doing a movie, is it, like, post-movie? But he's doing a conclusion? I don't know. So. Speaking of Star Wars, did anybody watch the Star Wars Visions Season 2? Uh, it's not out yet. Oh, it's not? No, that's not until May 4th. Okay, because I've heard some reviews that every single episode is a girl boss character. There's not a single male protagonist. In I don't know. I'm, thing. I'm just looking forward to the, the Ardman one, the Claymation one. That's that's my big... That's where I'm, I'm, I'm... That's all my... Honestly, all my focus is on that one, so... As long as that one's good? Yeah, I don't care about the rest. I really don't. Um... But as long as that one's good, I'm going to be like, you know, I'll be happy. As long as you don't have people standing on on X-Wing fighters in the middle of space, I think we're good. I still didn't mind that episode. Oh, I hated that episode. Fucking hated that episode. That, uh, it, not, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with uh, either Kill la Kill or Gurren Lagann. Mm-hmm. I am. They were the, 
that, that those were that was directed by that director. I know, I know, but I still, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself. I'm just like, oh my god, Do people understand how space works, at like even at the slightest. Like, <gasps> come on, they got the force, I mean, man. If, if you've seen anything from Gurren Lagann, <laughs> I, know, no. I know, I know, but all right, I so mean, let's. What's another thing? Here. Okay, switching gears. Demon you guys, Slayer. Uh, Has anybody Ford. watched? No, I'm talking Demon Slayer right now. Oh. Demon Slayer. Has anybody watched Demon Slayer? I've watched like the first three episodes of the first season. Yeah, I'm. All, I think I'm. I finished first season. I'm just starting second. Okay, so the latest one, the Demon Slayer Swordsmith Village, just came out, and my kids watched it while I was away. I guess they're two episodes in, and they were freaking out over it. And the other guys, I heard they did a theatrical release for these. And right now, worldwide, is fifty-six million dollars in theaters. Not bad. Yeah, it's impressive. Like that, considering American box office and everything else, mm-hmm. like that blows me away for what, like a week? Yeah, oh, fifty-one days. I guess it's been out, but um, considering the box office these days. So I watched that just before the podcast, and you can see they're leveling up the animation. Like obviously, they're making some money, so they're doing some flexes. What would normally be an anime held cell with the mouth moving. They're doing all these weird 3D moves. Um, all the demons get together in what they call it, the Infinity Castle, which is kind of like a weird Borg cube sort of Japanese village looking thing. Kind of like, um, was it Dark City? You know, it's this it's just this crazy castle and the camera's whipping around as all these demons gather to meet the head demon. And he's trying to figure out, look, you haven't found the Lotus thing that I've been looking for and one of our top demons have died, and that's never happened before, and you guys are all on notice. But not much happened in the first episode, but it was so good. So it's basically the heroes recovering from the last mission where they almost died, and all the demons getting there to figure out what to do next, and the main character has to go and get a new sword. So he's going to the sword's village to get a sword built. That's where we're at now, but... Yeah, it's bonkers. It's like bonkers anime. And it does that stuff where it goes into that crazy cartoony style just randomly for no reason. But it's hilarious. Like, normally that triggers me, but it's so funny that I'm okay with that. <laughs> so that's the thing I watched right before the podcast. But the other thing I watched this week is John Wick. And Gavin did too. Have you, Trevor? Yeah. I have I not seen John Wick. A couple weeks ago. All right, let's talk about John Wick. Okay, well, so... What, what well, okay, first off, let's, first of all, let's rate them. Best to worst. How would you rate them? Honestly, I first one is the best. Uh, second one, um, I, I would actually put the number four in the, in the second place position, in my opinion. The uh, second one and, and third one basically is one, one, four, two, three. Okay, we're pretty close. I would go one, two, four, three. That's my ranking. I mean, let's let's be honest. In terms of script, uh, they could have probably done the entire script on all four movies on like three uh, three double spaced pages, uh, printed uh, front and back. <laughs> that said, uh, <laughs> and the, that page would say some story and action done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually carry the story. Really, some that, people, some in all caps. John Wick kills. Who who does he kill? Oh, a bunch of guys. Everyone. I mean, uh, the, the, in the uh, coolest way possible. Oh, oh. Gunwick yeah. kills. Dot dot dot. In the coolest way possible. Done. 
basically, uh, the, the fourth John Wick uh, is basically John Wick discovering that if he can challenge uh, the, the head of the of the of the the the, the whole organization to a to a duel, and if he wins, he is basically free free of the organization. So he spends pretty much the the entire movie trying to get 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 to this guy to issue a challenge, and then he the uh, uh, what's the name the the marquee they call him the marquee. marquee. Uh, he basically ha- has puts a hit out on him, like tripling and quadrupling and quintupling the, hit, the prize money. So now it's John Wick against a bunch of guys who are after him. Wait, that sounds familiar. Hold on. Um, so yeah, it's basically just John Wick against a bunch of guys. And uh, hey, Cannon and Futter. Exactly, uh, and you've also got Dunyan in there. Um, that was a great he, character. He was Daredevil. Uh, he, I mean, let's just say it. He, yeah. He's Daredevil. He, yeah, he's Daredevil. The blind guy basically uses sound and uh, like like. like like a tremor sender or a vibration sense. Like he, he fucking used wireless doorbells to basically pinpoint the guys were, were coming to, to take him down. And so, that's a character that I was, I thought was so awesome that I didn't care that I was triggered by him. Yeah. It's like a blind guy going up against John Wick. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're going to get your butt kicked, but you're just so cool. I buy it. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, there's no, there's no surprise that John Wick kicks ass, gets a kick, uh, oh. gets injured. Uh, he like he's thrown down a lot of stairs, hit by a lot of cars, shot a lot of times. Um, some some of my uh, favorite notable scenes. Uh, he's uh, he's in a car, Tokyo drifting around these guys that are shooting at him, and he's shooting back, and he's taking them all down as he's Tokyo drifting around them. <laughs> it is it was it was so ridiculously outlandishly and uh, cool looking. I buy it only because of John Williams. I love and, uh, when he uses a car as a hand-to-hand combat weapon. <laughs> he's done that in the other movies, but when he's doing hand-to-hand combat with a car, it's amazing. I mean, um, the other, the other, the other scene that was just put this like the 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 the, the, the gunplay, the fighting, sort of on top tier for me was uh, basically he goes into a house and the camera switches to a top-down view. As though it were a video game. That was so weird. But so it was cool. good though. But it, it was so weird watching that scene. But it was I done mean, it was, well. It was done really oh, well. I mean, this is what a John Wick third person uh, or, or third person shoot 'em up game should be like. The, the camera is panning around. You see him like ducking behind things, shooting through walls. Uh, he 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 basically kills some guy. Grabs his like his shotgun that fires basically flaming bullets, which was like the most <laughs> over the top ammunition so far. But those yeah, exist. Like the, what, the dragon, dragon fire rounds. Yeah. yeah, the dragon fire rounds. Yeah, like watching dudes like taking full face loads of the of the of these rounds. And, so fun. Oh man, like it. It was like the impossibility of it was suspended by the fact that John Wick is John Wick. Like the second fucking last year. What do you got to say? I kind of blew my shit my way there. <laughs> That's okay. Um, okay, the best way I could describe this, because I was trying to think and decipher why this one didn't land the way the first ones did for me. And I think it kind of has the Street Fighter problem, where you know you got Street Fighter 2, you got all your characters. There's some goofy stuff like Blanca, but it's pretty grounded. But as the Street Fighter series goes on, it gets more and more goofy. You know, the, some of the characters are ridiculous, like ridiculous outfits and ridiculous powers. And 
it just kind of gets silly. And I think that's kind of where John Wick went. And like, I wish it stayed more grounded. I understand why they did it. Like, but at this point, it's complete comic book villains. Like the uh, the big fat guy with the gold teeth, what Killa Scott Adkins. Um, you know, that's a perfect example. He's basically like Kingpin, and he's so outlandish compared to, say, the first movie, what the villains were like. And it just keeps going on like that. Even the uh, Kane, um, who's essentially Daredevil, it's so crazy and out of control. I kind of wish they dialed it back, but I understand why they did it because you're this far in, you know, you just need bigger, goofier characters for him to fight. Um, yeah, so that was one problem. It's almost like Fast and Furious, where you know you start racing cars and now you're in space. It's like, well, Whoa, what you happened? started boosting DVDs in the back of trucks, yeah, and, and now you're in space shooting down missiles. Yeah, it's that kind of an effect where it's gotten so goofy. But, I mean, the action sequences are great. I enjoyed every single action sequence in this whole movie. Whereas in 3, after the first 20 minutes, I was ready to fall asleep. This one, even though the story was kind of like, yeah, it's a John Wick story. At least I stayed awake for all the action, so that's good. Uh, One thing I was thinking about, okay, if I was going to script Doctor this one i did not like the duel at the end because i wanted to see john wick kill everyone he says that at the beginning it's like what are you gonna do i'm gonna kill everyone okay do that go full on frank castle and actually kill everybody go up to the high table and murder them all like here's the baba yaga like do it and i was thinking as far as continuity between the four movies so the first one i think is the best story he retired his wife died, his dog got killed, his car got stolen. It's like, I'm going to go kill you bastards. Okay, that's the story. The other one, I have some loose heads. I got my car back, got my new dog. I'm good. But now that he's reactivated himself, now all these old favors get called in. And that causes all these problems. And then finally, he gets that excommunicado. Okay, so now shit hits the fan. Third movie is him trying to find a way back out, which he kind of does. I thought the story was weak in that one, but that's essentially the gist of it. It's like, okay, fine. I have to go through all this stuff again. I got out already. I got to get out again. I'll follow the rules. I'll do your thing. That doesn't work. Four should have literally been, I'm going to kill everyone. And not this, okay, I'm going to find a way to make a deal, to do this duel, to get my name. It's like, no, you're all dead. Every single one of you is dead. I wanted to see him go right up to the high table, whoever that boss is or whatever that circle is, that inner circle Illuminati assassin group, take them all out. I mean, this is essentially like a GTA 4 script where it's like, hey, I'm just trying to be a good guy. Oh, I can't be a good guy? Fine. You're all done. I'm taking you all out. That's it. So if I was going to script doctorate, that's what I would do. Not the duel at the end. It's like, no, everybody's dead. This whole world of assassins, all these minions that are being sent out on the street, everyone Everyone is dead. Like so kind of like a, a wanted ending where he takes out the entire assassin yeah. group. Yeah, it's like everything's gone. See, I I kind of like that. Um, I thought kind of that's what it was going to be when it's like, oh, if you challenge, like just from the trailers, you challenge the marquee, you're challenging for a place on the table. He's like, I don't want to place the table. I want to get out. He would use that as a a way of pulling the table in to witness the duel. 
because either they're going to see a, one of their own fall and he be elevated to the table or one of their members of the table successfully de defend his chair and Wick's using that as a, a way of getting the all the table in one spot and then which is sort of the table kind clean. of yeah it's sort of what happens in the movie but he only wipes one seat yeah but and i i think in in your version if if he got you know start towards you know the the start of the movie he gets the duel table comes close all the table he wipes the table of everybody and then starts working his way down now that all the basically the head of the snake's gone now he's getting rid of the rest of the snake yeah and at that point, he's the head of the table. He is the it's table. like, yeah, like, don't mess with me. I'm John Wick. You know, that's that's one of the things that I thought they really should have kept going through the whole John Wick series. Because in, in the first movie, it's like, uh, as soon as somebody realized, wait, that was John Wick's dog? John Wick's dog? You yeah. killed John Wick's dog? Yeah. Oh, like the, shit. The speech that yes. the, the, the Russian crime boss gives to his son about how terrifying John Wick is, and you just killed the dog that his dead wife gave him when she died. Yeah, it's uh, you're it's like, scared of the boogeyman. Yeah, John Wick is the man we sent kill the boogeyman. Yeah, he's like, he's like, and then we'll all do like, there's nothing you're gonna do. John's gonna come and kill you. That's that's as much as you're gonna do. That set John Wick up at such at such a high point. Now the second movie when he's in, he you know he had to come in long enough to to get his revenge. But he's in deep enough that now people can call in the favors that he owes. It's like, all right. The third movie was just like, hey, let's just be a cinematic mess. It's almost like they didn't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's where they kind of introduced some of the members of the high table. I think this movie should have been about him demolishing the entire organization. I that's exactly what I think should have happened. And it didn't, and that made me sad. Because the way in the first movie, like you said, they were terrified of John Wick. Now you have, and he keeps kind of working his way up. Where, you know, the Continental now put a hit on his head in John Wick 2. Right? And, you know, he goes to the high table in 3. And what you want to see is in 4, when he says, I'm going to kill everyone. The members of the high table are like, oh, crap. Yeah, we just got the guy who, goes, who, who we send to kill Boogeyman. Yeah, so now we're going to take our top boogeyman to go kill him. That's your story. As yeah. he takes out all the other top boogeyman, and then he just wipes the table. Yeah. So, anyway, overall, it was fun. If, like, story aside, if, if I'm watching an action sequence, like I could watch this movie again and again and again and again just because of the action choreography and some of the crazy stuff that they do. Even um, that killer, you know, he gets his throat slit with a playing card you know there's the whole thing john wick killed four men with a pencil well three. here he, he only killed he, three men with a pencil was it three yeah well he then killed, he killed the other i watched three, i watched in the bars john wick killed three men with a pencil okay well in this one yeah he takes a playing card and slits the kingpin's throat doesn't isn't quite die a, yet but isn't that a, a burt reynolds film from like the 80s where he's like a master of anything with an edge and at one point he's like flips a playing card and like sticks into a guy's neck and kills him is it yeah yeah, it, I I, you have to one. look up old Burt Reynolds films, but there's one where he's like an FBI or like a CIA assassin and he's like on vacation or he's visiting a friend and they kill his friend or his daughter or someone and then he just unleashes his skills. And they mention the fact that he's a master of edged weapons and anything with an edge is a weapon in his hands. And at one point he, you know, flicks a playing card at someone and like lodges into their neck and he like cuts the jugular and you can see like the blood squirting around the card and... I just remember that scene when I was a kid. Like that is so cool. 
So, yeah. I can't remember the name of the film, though, for the life of me. Maybe someone who will <clears throat> edit in the name of the film would be great. I mean, I'll try to do a search and find the name of it, but I can't remember the name of the film. It was a long time ago. I'm an old man. Malone? Me? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Malone is 1987 action thriller starring Burt Reynolds as a CIA operative specializing in assassinations. That that sounds about right. Sounds like it. Yeah. I just remember the whole thing. I remember as a kid, I went to like, uh, there was a, a place around the corner where I lived that you know, had like had like a, a ridiculous number of, of movies and I wasn't allowed to rent it, but then I went back like an hour later and the other person behind the counter let me rent it. So it was, it was awesome. Got it home, watched it. And yeah, so. Oh, one interesting thing, and this is all spoilers, mm -hmm. but I did like the end credit sequence, just the way it tied up loose ends. So basically, the Kane character shows up in Japan, the the Tokyo Continental, and kills the people there because they were harboring John Wick. So that the guy who was the head of the Continental was a friend of both Kane and John Wick, but because John Wick had the marker, he had the contract on his head, uh, Kane comes in, kills the guy who's writing it, and his daughter, basically, in the end credit, comes back and it's implied, it's implied that he kills her, or, yeah. or she kills him. Yeah, it's left open. Oh, this is another interesting thing. There's nothing that's left open where you're not sure if John Wick actually dies at the end, and you're not sure what happens between Kane and the ninja assassin girl. So you could just say, "Oh yeah, everybody's dead," or you could leave the door open where. John Wick's death was fake. You know, there's a whole another fight possibility between Kane and the daughter. So that's kind of neat that they sort of tied it up, but sort of left it open. Because apparently they're doing the whole ballerina story, right? That's on the table for that's a, a prequel future project. Thing. And Kenner yeah. Reeves is in that one. Uh, what's oh, it's the prequel. The, uh, okay. The, uh, uh, what's the name? The, the, uh, Hotel owner. Yeah. So when that uh, Winston. Uh, Winston, yeah. Uh, the he he's uh, supposed to be coming back in sort of a period piece, nineteen sixties, uh, establishing the the hotels. Okay. So I I, oh, I don't know how that alone, it was Heat. The the Burt Reynolds film. It's called Heat. It just yeah took a, long enough for the gears to finally turn. Anyway, anyways, yes. So, sorry about that interruption. I, it's one of those things. Otherwise, I was going to wake up at 3 a.m. and suddenly bolt, like, sit upright in bed and go, it was heat. And then Meredith would, like, punch me in the ribs or something. So, yeah. That's where there's two movies called Heat. Mm-hmm. There's probably several movies called Heat. Fascinating. Yes. So, John Wick 4, good action. Story could be better, but it is what it is. Yeah. These things happen. Done we well. All right. So what else you guys been watching this week? Anything? Anything? Well, I just finished up the uh, entirety, including the, the sixth season of My Hero Academia. Um, I got to say, if you guys love the hero's journey kind of uh, tropes, this series is My girls have been fantastic. watching it. Some of my kids started watching it as well. Yeah, I, I think, I think they yeah, actually but... might have finished it. I don't know. I'd I don't know how. I don't know if it's uh, if it's dubbed here yet for season six because it only just finished airing uh, in Japan uh, a 
few uh, few weeks ago. But oh. uh, I I gotta say I I laughed, I cried, holy shit! It was it was so good. Um, if you if you like the sort of the, the ongoing series like uh, like Naruto or Baratu, then you will love this series, especially so when season it takes... six. You said just finished. Just finished. Yeah. We have it here on Hulu. Oh dear. Yeah. Excellent. Um, uh, sub and dub. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Highly recommend it. Um, the, there's uh, three separate movies as well, which uh, every single movie that I watched, uh, I watched it after I finished the uh, the sixth season. Because uh, honestly, they, they're kind of sidebars in, the, in between the, the, the seasons. But each of them has, like, each of them take it takes it up to ten, and then goes uh, plus ultra past like to like fifteen out of ten. The uh, it's there's nothing quite like watching the characters kind of like exceed their powers and win the uh, win the win the day. It's like I, I would say uh, uh, Baratu on steroids. Not that I. So can, what's the overall? Honestly... What's the overall story? For it, because I've heard of this, but I don't know really what it's about. Okay, so basically, it starts off with uh, Izuki Midoriya. He's this kid who uh, uh, he's he's yearning to become like his idol, uh, All Might, who is essentially the the Superman analog in this world. Uh, now, in this in this world, eighty percent of the population has some sort of quirk. So. Some some have like in, in, incredible strength. Some people have have like uh, like engines in their legs or something which let, let them run faster. Um, some have like one like where you you can basically lift up salt. Okay, I mean that just gives you sort of an idea that some of these guys are not destined to be heroes, but most people have some degree of power. Azuka, uh, unfortunately, does not have anything. He has no gift. They kept telling him, he kept saying, he, just wait till I get my power. Just wait till I get my power. No power for him. His, the doctors looked at him. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's not going to have powers. So he's absolutely in despair. Uh, one day he witnesses uh, a child in front of his, of his getting attacked by uh, like a, a, a villain. And without thinking, he charges in to try and help him. And the, uh, he, of course, gets, gets grabbed by the villain because he can't do, do shit. Uh, but All Might comes comes and saves the day. Now, in a chance encounter, he he encounters All Might, who who basically sums up and determines that this kid may be worth, uh, you know, basically inheriting my power. So then he he transforms into his normal self, which is this frail, sickly, uh, skinny skeleton of a man, and says, basically, I'm going to give you my power and uh Izuka is basically just bawling in gratitude so all might forces him to basically train every single day for for like for the for an entire school year until finally he has him basically uh ingest a single hair which grants him uh all, uh, all might's power now thing is if you suddenly had the power of superman and had no idea how to use it, things might go wrong. And the only thing he discovers how to do is that he could he could concentrate all of the the entire power of All Might in in one arm or one leg or whatever. 
unfortunately, it always severely injures him, like severely, like pulverizes bone. Like he 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 winds up like in the hospital every time he tries to use his power. But uh, through perseverance, he does manage to get himself enrolled in My Hero Academia in order to try and become the next only. But he has uh, a long, long, long road ahead of him. And so My Hero Academia starts with basically the first couple two episodes. That's basically what I, I summed up. And now stretched out to six seasons where he get he gets more and more control of his power. He starts to understand better and better. He learns new moves. It is it is possibly one of my favorite shows right now. That's one thing I love about these animes and mangas is the whole development of the characters. Where you have something like Superman or Spider Man, where you know they kind of got their powers and that's kind of what they stick with building. Whereas with manga and anime, watching these characters evolve, you know, where they're just these goofy kids trying to figure things out and they end up god level. So much fun as far as the narrative well, story goes. Do you guys, you guys remember what, watching one half on VHS? Like, I, like I, I was up to the second season, like, I don't, like on, on nine videotapes that cost yeah. like 60 bucks each for two episodes per. Um, but that, that was the first anime that kind of introduced me to the idea that a character could grow. Like, watching our, watching our favorite shows, like, you know, G.I. Joe, uh, like Transformers, uh, what, uh, He-Man. No one learns anything except for whatever that the, the uh, don't do drugs, kids, or whatever that their moral bullshit at the end of the episode. And then the next episode, it's back to status quo. No one's learned a lesson. Skeletor is doing the same old dastardly thing. Nobody learns anything. Meanwhile, that's why I liked Mega Man as a video game because he's constantly leveling up, constantly getting new powers. But the thing, the thing with Ranma is uh, Ranma learns a new, like a new move one episode. And you're thinking, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. He used that special move to defeat whatever character has been challenging him. Fast forward a couple episodes, he just casually tosses that new move into into his fights. It's like holy shit, he learned something. Yeah, and just keep repeating like he's he's learning new new techniques, more power. He's understanding things better and better and better. And this is the thing that we we just never seem to really get in a lot of the a lot of the standard, as you say, like Spider Man. He already knew all of his things. Uh, Batman, he already knows how to punch the crap out of villains. You know, like, just, there's there's never, there was never sort of a the hero's journey for them. Right, and like a natural evolution of the character. Exactly. And I, 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 I know how much of a Naruto and Boruto fan you are. I, I, I can't imagine that that, should, that series had done any other way but, but through the hero's journey. They, exactly they learn, that. they grow. Yeah. So, and, and academia is kind of like that superhero story that, you know, you, you wanted to see how the guy started. Like, you want to, you, you, you're rooting for him. Like, I'll be honest, uh, like, uh, Midoriya is just the most pitiful kid you've ever seen. Like, like, when he finally gets his powers, he's still, like, the most pitiful guy you've ever seen. He cries at the drop of a hat. But he gets stronger and stronger and stronger as the series goes. So I, I just can't recommend it enough. It's easily... Like, easily one of my favorite series. Right, and I'll I mean, check that out because again, my kids have started watching it, so I think I have to jump on the bandwagon before they get too far ahead. <laughs> well, no, absolutely, absolutely. Get 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 in there and and so watch because it it's just it is so worth it. Yeah, I just checked my Hulu account. According to that, is 121 episodes in, and then when I looked at the kids' Hulu account, they're much further. I think they're like one or two episodes away from finishing it off. Oh, there you go. Then, then you can start watching it. 
without ruining their 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 uh, you know their 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 watch. Yeah, the problem is that if they see me watching, they're going to come in and tell me everything's about to happen, and I only have so much duct tape. <laughs> um, so little duct tape, so many kids. Yeah, I know. So today, uh, because we after this this whirlwind weekends, um, uh, I took my three older kids. Uh, now, Fred already went with Meredith last week, but so I took the three older kids to go see Super Mario Brothers. Mainly, Fred got to see it a second time. This time, he actually stayed in the seat more, and the girls got to watch it, and I got to see it. And it was a fun movie. Not deep in story, but... No, but fun. no. But fun. The visuals are really nice. I mean, this is Illumination doing what Illumination can do. Do you watch it, Gavin? Yes. Uh, of I course Gavin so. did. I mean, just like, really? Um, just checking. Yeah, not a deep story. Not like they they you know, maybe a, a page of actual story written, um, and that included all the dialogue. Um, yeah, this was wow, um, but it, gorgeous looking movie, like absolutely gorgeous. And here was it good? Great. Were you satisfied after watching it? I was more satisfied with the soundtrack than I was with everything else. The soundtrack. I mean, I was back being that kid in nineteen eighty five, sitting in front of the TV playing Mario Brothers. Because all the sounds were there, all of the, and I mean, yeah, they updated some of the, the the various theme music, but you could still instantly recognize it. And yeah, there was a bunch of like really fun little moments. Um, all the, all the kids enjoyed it, so yeah. Yeah, there's a, it, I, it, I agree, hundred percent. Um, the story was just nuts. Like, if you played the game, you know the story. Bowser, Bowser can for the speech. Mario has to save her. Mm-hmm. There's a little more to it, just to make it fill out like you know the full hour and a half or so that that, that it is. But uh, I gotta say, um, the the g- side gags were great. Um, I, I kind of liked how they really played into the uh, the it's silly Mario uh, voice stick right at the beginning, only for you to see discover that it's literally a commercial. And Mary Ah, oh, you don't think I just I, I I hammed it up too much, sir? Was it was it was that a bit much? And then there was a guy playing a video game in the background who turns and goes. Oh no! It was perfect. Well, that's, that was the original. Yeah, uh, Charles Martinet, uh, Charles who's, Martinet, who is the, yeah. the original voice of both Mario and Luigi, and it is dressed like Mario's appearance in Donkey Kong. Yeah. So that's the like his outfit was the outfit that Mario had on the like on the the the, the, the cabinet art of Mario for like for the Donkey Kong game. That's what he's dressed in. Like it's it's accurate to the cabinet art, which was second I saw him like, and then he spoke. I'm like, oh okay, that's where he is. All right, all right, so. Um, I mean, I th- there were a bunch of little jokes. Like at one point, they're trying to get into the castle. Like Mario's trying to get in the castle, and he runs up to two guards, and they're like, "Oh no, princess! There's no princess here." Oh wait, there's a princess. Oh, the, the princess you're looking for, she's in another castle. You know, because that annoying thing. Nice little throwaways. Yeah, and there was little stuff like that that was fun. Um, but yeah, this movie was not deep deep into story. They were just trying to like, hey kids, you know who Mario is? Let's go. And yeah. I, I gotta say the uh, the voice acting actually surprised me. Uh, when when Chris Pratt was saying that the, you've never heard of Mario like me before, or, or paraphrasing, mind you. Yeah. And I'm uh, every and you, the first time you hear it in the trailer, you're like, just sounds like a regular guy, like Chris Pratt. Weird. Turns out uh, he actually did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Like I did, I had absolutely no objections. It was just Mario with a bit of a New York accent. Yeah, and they touched upon all the basically the various versions of Mario you see, like Super Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, you know, 
they all touched upon them there. All the different worlds that you travel to in the various Mario games. So, how would you guys rate it? That's a tough one. Um, four out of ten story, nine out of ten fun. I would I would probably say the story is more like a two out of ten. Visuals are like a eight out of ten. Audio nine out of ten. I just gotta say though, Jack Black and Bowser. That was I mean that was one of the Magnifique. best ones. Yeah, I would say if I had to rate it all together, it would probably be like a nineteen out of thirty. So, not quite a sixty percent. Just look at Rotten Tomatoes. Audience scored ninety six percent. That's pretty oh, good. It's already one of the highest grossing uh, animated movies of all time right now. Yeah. Yeah. Worldwide, eight hundred and seventy one million. Yeah. I mean, this thing basically it puts on the nostalgia gloves and beats the bejesus out of you. If I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, because I mean, as I said, like I had one of the original NESs. Mario Bros. was the first game I had to play. You know. Played the arcade games of like you know the 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 you know, Mario games there and Donkey Kong. I I probably I can't count how many quarters I pumped into those machines. And yeah, this basically this hits all the nostalgia. I mean, I played Mario. Well, is there a Donkey Kong reference aside from the original like, costume? Oh, Donkey Kong's yes. in the film. Diddy Kong's in the film. Like Donkey Kong nice. is voiced by Seth Rogen, and he's a major player in this movie. Oh nice. yeah, and. He is. He actually is quite a likable character in this. He, I didn't realize it was Seth Rogen until he gave the signature Seth Rogen laugh, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that is Seth." Because the whole time I'm like, "Who's the voice?" It's so familiar, and then he gives the laugh. I'm like, okay, it's Seth Rogen. Um, but like Fred Armisen is is King Cranky Kong. He's in there too. So yeah, they got some really good voice actors um, for the various roles. So yeah, it's it's it was it was a lot of fun. In terms of, as I said, visuals get high marks. The audio gets high marks. I just wish they would have spent more than you know two post-it notes writing the story. Because there's so much more they could have done with that. But, oh well. And you yeah. know what they're going to do a sequel. You know this this movie is geared itself right to a sequel. So and I wonder if they will do a Nintendo, Nintendo universe, uh, like a Nintendo universe with all the characters. We talked about that last week. No, you could do the it MCU. Yourself, yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, they Star Fox, whatever. Star Fox, Metroid, uh, Star Fox, Metroid, yeah. Easily. That stupid dog from Duck Hunt. I really wanted to shoot that dog so badly. Um, yeah, so took the kids to see that. They had a great time with it. Everyone had smiles on their faces on the way home. Um, I got a couple more things to discuss. Uh, so I watched season two of Shadow and Bone. I don't know if any of you were following that series. Uh, it's based no. off a uh, 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 series of books about people it's very russian in terms of like the some of the language and some of the terms they use so people can be born or called grisha which means you have access to powers that others don't like you might be able to manipulate water or metal or you're a healer um there's a wide variety and there's a small group of people who have very specialized power and there's one who has he's called the darkling um and then there's this rift that has kind of torn a country into two pieces and inside the rift, where it's all black and smoky, live monsters. The Volca and a couple other monsters, like giant flying monsters that you really can't fight against. They just rip people to shreds. And there's this girl named Alina Starkov who turns out she's a sun, sun, a sun summoner. She can summon light. And that light is death to any like the Volca in the rift and she learns how to wield it and she ends up going to like the the Grisha school and she gets bullied and yada 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 and turns out the general Kirigan who's the 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 dark summoner 
is actually a dick um and is just like probably one of the worst people ever and he's like older than than he needs to be <clears throat> anyways so i i caught the first season on netflix back in like right towards the tail end of the pandemic um because there wasn't a whole lot to do and they just released um about a week ago season two um like eight episodes and it was fun it was a fun watch um i recommend it for that they're pretty faithful to the books um not incredibly so but they're faithful enough to it that it, you could read the books or watch the series and get a good understanding of how this all works um and the visuals are nice um you know the, the technology is kind of like turn of the century they have rifles they have ships they don't really have airplanes for the most part um they have like trains um uh, and you're following different groups there's a group called the crows who's like there's a, a criminal boss his um female assassin wraith who's like skilled in edge weapons he's got a, a gunslinger who turns out to be a, a secret grisha who can like manipulate metal that's how he's such a good shot um and then his crew kind of grows and changes he's also fighting against other gang members of his town um then you have the whole grisha thing like the sun sun summoner wants to destroy the fold and the, the Darkling guy kind of wants to use it for his own nefarious means. Um, because with the country divided, he can, in theory, eventually take over. And his goal is to, like, kill off the, the, the king and his royal family and kind of take over the country for himself. So, yeah. It's a... It's an, it was an interesting series, an interesting watch. Um, my suggestion would be... Watch a couple episodes of the first season if you haven't started, if you haven't tried it. Watch one or two episodes, see if it catches you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. Um, yeah, they have. A, what I like is they have some. One of the Grisha are, are uh, uh, heart renders. They basically like they can hear heartbeats, and one of the things they can do is they can like kind of reach out and like you know mystically mumbo jumbo their hands and like kind of grab your heart in your chest, and as they pull, they kind of like it's like squeezing your heart in your body until it kind of either crushes or stops beating and they kill you. Um, yeah. So it's like the bloodbenders in Avatar. Well actually at one point they go up against a um uh what are the, I can't it's it's one of the ones who basically controls metal and turns out she is very like anyone who's a Grisha is, is naturally longer lived than a non-Grisha and they go up against her and turns out she She's been around for quite a while, and she paralyzes them all by grabbing the iron in their blood. And just like, and she's holding like not just one person, like a whole crowd of people. She's holding them, like, and she's like, basically, she's doing a little bit of monologue of, "I could kill you all off right now, but I promised someone that I wouldn't abuse this power." But the whole time, like everyone's just like, "Oh God, just, just, just please," because imagine having the iron in your blood being worked against you, like kind of holding you in place. You know, the, I guess the feeling of, of inadequacy would just be terrible. I mean, there's nothing, you can't even blink because you have blood in your eyelids. You have no control over it. The blood in your muscles is, is holding your muscles solid. Like it just, it would suck. It would suck like hell. So yeah. So there are people who are that powerful in the, in the world. So yeah. And yeah, it's as I said, I had a lot of fun with this 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 season the the series. Season two, I think, was far better than season one. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes if they do it all. Because they kind of the way they ended it, 
doesn't really set itself up well for a season three, but I'm kind of fine with that too because I think they ended season two on a really good note. So, yeah. And the other shout out I have. So my wife uh, found this first and, and we have been watching it. Uh, it's a series called Poker Face on Peacock. Yeah, Peacock. And unfortunately, Mike, you're going to hate it because Rian Johnson's involved with it. Uh, okay, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. guys. <laughs> um, but this is basically, this is an homage to Columbo and Murder, She Wrote. This is so much fun. Um, the main character uh, is a, a woman named Charlie Kale, who has an uncanny ability to tell when people are lying. And she has no filter she'll just automatically say bullshit so they'll be like hey look i i just got a new job and she'll like bullshit and then people backpedal a bit like what and she's like you're bullshitting me what would you really do and they didn't skimp on the actors so a lot of the uh, reoccurring and guest actors and the way they do is each episode is its own little story um and the first episode kind of sets up why Every episode from that point on is its own story because you've got Benjamin Bratt as the head of a, a head of security at a casino who's chasing her because he's been ordered by his boss to track her down and drag her back because she's got, got some stuff to answer for. But we have people like Adrian Brody's in it, Ron Perlman's in it, John Ratzenberger's in it, which was the biggest shop. Cliff, um, yeah, it's just there's a lot of really great actors and actresses who are kind of like the almost like like law and order you know a little guest starring role here and there but it's just great because you'll see the episode will start and you charlie will not be part of the the people as they're they're going and you see like a character will kind of turn and talk off to someone off screen and so you realize later when they do the scene again from a different point of view they were talking to charlie and it's a case of she notices things, much like Columbo would, and then he'd do the whole, like, oh, and there's one more thing, and kind of come back. Like, he'd be on his way out, and then, oh, there's one more thing, and he'd come back and just unravel the case in front of you, and you're like, all the signs were there, but most viewers, including myself, you miss them. You're like, I didn't, you're not following the, the, the little thread that she is, and then you're like, oh, yeah, it was right there. If I just looked and paid attention, I would have seen that, and not feel like such a big ass dummy you know it's it's like watching wheel of fortune by the end of the show you're like i'm a fucking genius and then you click right into watching jeopardy and you're like i am the stupidest person on the face of this goddamn planet i didn't get it one of them right so yeah that's what it kind of makes you feel like you know you're watching the episode like oh yeah that person got caught i feel smart and then she starts connecting it all together you're like i am so stupid for missing all those things how did i miss that so yeah, it's a fun series to watch. Really fun. Jesus, the cast is crazy. Yeah, like it's not uh... Nick Nolte, J Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm -hmm. Adrian Brody, Simon Helberg. Yeah, they wow. They've gotten a really great cast. As you know, each episode you've got one or two. Like people are just like, wait a minute, that's holy shit. Yeah. It's it's a fun, and it's a, such a well written and fun show to watch, and the fact that you've got you know it's like Columbo with a a bullshit meter. So every time that it doesn't matter if she's 
uh, listening to it like over the radio or in person or videotape. She could just seemingly read like read the person and, and hear the inflections of their voice and go, mm, that's bullshit. She can't tell you when you're telling the truth, but she can definitely tell when you're telling a lie. So, yeah, it's a fun show. I highly recommend it. It is so much fun. I'll see if we can get our uh, friends to throw it on uh, the Pirates Bay. <laughs> well, it's on Peacock, and Peacock's a free service. Is it? I, I believe so. I don't think you pay for Peacock. Yeah. I don't know if we can get... Can we get it here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pay in Ireland, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Italy, as well as, uh, obviously, the U.S., but not available here. Well, move to a better country. Or use a VPN. And... Does, uh, does you have uh, healthcare? Uh, okay, no, never mind. You pay for insurance, but it depends who you're married to. Yeah, I mean, you get, if you get good insurance, you can get same day coverage. So if you break your leg, you're not waiting, waiting around a week. Or if you bust off your knee, you have to wait like two months before they finally get the surgery done. And you've done the same yeah. damn day. Well done. Hmm. Provided you get... so what did Rian Johnson do in the show? Uh, he's creator, director. Uh, he is. He actually created it and does some of the writing. No, no, okay, look here. After, after watching doing... Glass Onion and Knives Out, I, in my mind, The Last Jedi doesn't exist. It just, it just, it was a failed experiment that, that never happened. I, all, I, all I can do is if somebody can prove to me it was Kathleen Kennedy that was the mastermind behind that atrocity, I might be able, you know, it's like I can surgically remove Rian Johnson from my shit list. I think, honestly, I think The Last Jedi was his name was attached as director. But I don't think he wrote because seeing all the other stuff that he's done, it doesn't have his. It doesn't feel like something that he has done. It really doesn't. It lacks a lot of the, the layered nuances that's in like knives out glass onion poker face. There is some substantial amount of layering in the writing. Some some excellent thought forethought foreshadowing and payoff in it. That there's none of that in the Last Jedi. Like not a goddamn scrap. Of it. So, so you're saying that Rian Johnson might have a redemption arc. He, yes, absolutely. Mm, this um, is fascinating. Because the, the more of his stuff I watch, the more the Last Jedi, story-wise, and like in terms of a write a written story, it's it's just more incoherent. Like it lacks what we see of his work and everything else. And we have seen the writers' room whiteboard. Yeah, so that's and why we I'm have like, heard Kathleen Kennedy meddling in things. So that's why I'm I'm thinking they they call the Last Jedi his film. But I don't think he was the primary author. And I think for the most part, any suggestions or input he had was edited out because it's it doesn't it's, again, using those three examples, Glass Onion, Knives Out, and Poker Face, it it they they don't feel any it doesn't feel like the same person did that and The Last Jedi, because it's just there's none of his touch in there. None of it. So yeah. I'm not willing I... to forgive yet. But okay, I'll look into it. Go ahead, Gav. I've, uh, I've, 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 I think I've said this before, but the thing is, is after watching uh, Glass Onion and Knives Out, uh, it's, it's kind of sort of impressed on me that Rian Johnson uh, is not a bad director. I just think he might, he was given the keys to a massive franchise that I think uh, he didn't have the kind of control he, he thought he could have or what, like whatever, like. Whatever your opinion on it, like, like if you just if you ignore it that it that it exists and just go into knives out and shattered on uh, uh, the glass onion, uh, 
based on its own merits, uh, you'll find a decent uh, murder mystery on, in both uh, both movies. Uh, the problem is I the, can't, Gavin. I can't. I can't separate it. Oh, my poor Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you were wounded too badly. Yeah, I just, I, I, in my mind, you know, episode seven, eight, nine ne- never happened because they were all just train wrecks. If I have to rate Star Wars films, I'll rate the first six and then seven, eight, nine are at the bottom because they're all just terrible. Um, I just rate, you know, the four, five, six. That's all I rate. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's done. And the thing is, as I said, the more I see it work, the less I think he was writing The Last Jedi. I think a lot of it got changed, A, in the editing booth, but B, I think whatever script he handed in, that, again, got through other people's hands. And then probably case of when it got handed back to him, he's like, wait, this isn't mine. They're like, shoot, or you get a paycheck. This is kind of like, I think, honestly, this is 100% in Alan Smithy's situation. When the final movie came out, he probably wanted his name taken off it and was told, you can't, it's too late. I mean, as Alan Smithy. You've never heard. Come on, Mike. Alan Smithy Smithy was the pseudonym that Hollywood directors could use when they didn't want their name on a film. Um, I didn't know that. What do you mean you didn't know that? It's like one of the biggest. uh, There was even a a whole thing about it talking about there's a a movie, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, where they kind of made, made fun of the whole thing that, you know. And then it's it's been discontinued. Well, I know that now because I googled it, but no, I've never heard of this before. Yeah, Alan's. It was so because up until this, I think it was until before nineteen seventy, uh, directors could not use pseudonyms for when they directed a film. So you know, like a, a writer can have like a a different name. So like uh, Stephen King had, had published books under a different name. Directors weren't allowed to do that, but sometimes you would direct something that's just absolute. Like just a giant dumpster fire, and like if I put my name, if my name is is associated with this film, is that when it goes out, my career is over. So that is where Alan Smithy came up, and there's a fair number of films that are credited to Alan Smithy. And when the secret finally came out, they um, the the Directors Guild started coming out with other pseudonyms that could be used in place of Alan Smithy. So directors could take their names off of films. Um, I know that the Screenwriters, Screenwriter Guild has the same thing. They, there are certain names that you can use in place of your own if you feel that, you know, the film's just going to be so terrible and you don't want your name attached to it because you'd like to keep working. That's where it's possible. So, yeah, I have a feeling um, Johnson wanted his name removed from the film but was basically told, nope, we need it. We need a name because we have J.J. Abrams on the first one. We need an actual name name that we can have, you know, trot the director out during the screenings and shit like that. And yeah, as I said, you know, watching Knives Out, Glass Onion and some of his other work, it this uh, Last Jedi does not feel like it's his. Like it's just writing is so amateurish in comparison. Like it, it feels like watching like Knives Out or Glass Onion is like watching a surgeon do a beautiful operation, surgical, like beautiful cuts, excellent stitches, and resolve amazing. Last Jedi feels like some trying to do a decapitation with a club. They're just going to keep whacking at it and hoping brute strength is just going to rip it free. And then it's done. Plus one vocal club. Yeah, so it's... That's why I said, like, when I watched 
poker face and it was like oh rian johnson's attached at first i was like mm. and then you know two episodes in i'm like these are so well written so smartly written and it is such uh almost like a giant homage and, and chef's kiss to like murder she wrote and columbo and all those sorts of you know crime sort of like the crime shows with with someone you know following the mystery and and solving it at the end and yeah it's I highly recommend Poker Face if you get a chance to watch it. I'm still boycotting until I get proof. Damn it! <laughs> you you won't get proof. You know they're you they're it. never going to release proof because the second I'm going to ask him on Twitter right now. Yeah, but the thing is, you'll never get proof because the second someone comes forward, like a Brian Johnson comes forward and says, "No, I didn't actually do that," he's pretty much just said, "I'm I'm done directing because you know that Disney and and." those involved will make sure that that his career is done. They will go out of his way to, to blacklist him and make sure he never works on any anything with a large budget. Ever. Oh, Poker Face, where's that released? I said, it's what company? It's Peacock, NBC. So nothing to Disney at all. No, but it's... It's fine, tell, it's fine. Yeah, but you can tell it's not... Like, this series was so well received that... So it debuted on January 26th of this year. Less than a month later, it was renewed for a second season. After two episodes, renewed for a second season. That shows some pretty good support behind it. But I mean, yeah, it's not, they're not giant budget episodes. I think a lot of the actors, like the big name actors are coming in, are just working for scale because it's a, a fun project. So, yeah. And you can tell the people in it are having fun with the roles. So, yeah. Oh, it's just Luke Skywalker, man. Oh. So, yeah. If you get a chance to, to see Poker Face, highly recommend it, folks. It is so much fun to watch. I can't believe you didn't know about Alan Smithy. Hmm. Didn't know that. Well, now you learn something new, Mike. That's why I tune in. Learn something new every day. All right. I think, uh, I think I'm just about done. I think that's about all I have. Yeah, I got the done. Wow. I know. Shocking. Lexus, right. goodbye then. Lexus, goodbye. Three, two, one. Lexus, goodbye. goodbye. You guys were like bad internet, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going to blame the internet. <laughs> exactly. Good night, folks. All right, guys. Have a good night. This has been Geeking Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next that time, same spider channel, may the force be with you. And thanks for tuning in.